Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. I say housekeeping, I mean a little bit of me asking you to help us keep the house in order. We need you to click that link at the top of the podcast that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Join us, throw us the price of a cup of coffee and a scone once a month, and you'll be helping keeping this platform, the podcasts across the network going, mics on and conversations like the ones that you're about to listen to happening. Think about it as your bit of activism on a monthly basis. You are literally putting us in a position where we can continue to platform and open a space for, for, for conversations that you don't get anywhere else and perspectives that are very, very few and far between in the mainstream. So if you like what we do and you think it has value, help keep it going. Say it all the time. We have no ads. We have no sponsors. We rely on you. And you get lots of extras for that, including access to our entire back catalogue now of almost 1,290 podcasts, as well as the podcasts as quickly as I can turn them around entirely plea-free. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise We really need your help. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. And enjoy the podcast. and welcome to what is the final episode of the Lost in Implementation podcast, the series looking at the unfinished work of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement and asking the question of what next. I'm excited to be covering civic engagement uh, under the Good Friday Agreement and since this afternoon with Brona Hines for the Women's Coalition and David Holloway from Community Dialogue. You're both very welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So, For context, just to set the scene for listeners, um, the Good Friday Agreement commits to the establishment of a civic forum. The civic forum, which was a key ask from the Women's Coalition, was to be a consultative body looking at key social economic issues and acting essentially really as a bridge between civic society and our politicians. It was established in 2000 and subsequently disbanded in 2002 and has not been brought back since. There have been efforts between then and now to try to fill the void left behind by the Civic Forum, recognising, of course, that civic engagement and engagement from citizens is crucial in a democracy, and I would argue even more so in a post-conflict society. Brona, I'm going to come to you first if you want to set the scene for us. Give us a little bit of the background to the Civic Forum as a concept and why that became important for yourselves. Yes, um, well, even way back uh, when uh, women were organizing in relation to uh, trying to get some dialogues for peace, uh, we had established in Northern Ireland the Northern Ireland Women's European Platform, now called the Women's Platform. And we had set up an East-West relationship with our sisters in Scotland, Wales and England and North-South relationship with the National Women's Council of Ireland And together, we were all involved in establishing the European Women's Lobby. Now, as part of that, it was very important for us to establish um, the lobby in the UK on a four nations basis so that we could actually collaborate on the north-south basis. So the the National Women's Council of Ireland and ourselves in the women's platform did a lot of stuff around the peace process. Um, uh, we uh, brought women together over the OPSAL Commission uh, conclusions and what women had said to OPSAL. I remember uh, having a delegation of women from the North down meeting with women, women, the membership of the National Women's Council of Ireland 
uh, in the Department of Foreign Affairs. Uh, we brought women from the South up to the North. We contributed to the Forum for Peace and Reconciliation and we did a big North-South conference of women. But in the trip up to the North, we had a, a, a conference in would you believe it? The Senate chamber in the uh, Parliament buildings, which was actually closed at the time, but uh, we had it open for us to have to have a big conference, and that's where the Civic Forum first came up. Uh, I think I suggested at that time we had a discussion. Uh, we fast forwarded that that into further discussions, and then when we were. Uh, uh, deciding our policies that we wanted to push forward in 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 the negotiations, uh, we had two major policies, and they were all framed around. And David will appreciate this as community dialogue, uh, because we are we are founders and both involved in community dialogue in the early days. Um, we were trying to create some kind of participative and engaged democracy, not to take the place of politicians, but to engage. And so we. Kate Fearon had done some work on electoral reform, which we tried to get through. And then I was pushing the notion of the civic forum. Uh, and so that's how it came together. And we can talk a bit about how it happened. Um, I remember in the final days of the negotiation, uh, Jane Wilde and myself um, sat down to rack our brains about how we get some of our priority asks into the final agreement. And we managed to negotiate that we would get either the civic forum or electoral forum. So we went with the civic forum and we trekked the, 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 the staircase and the rooms trying to get traction of, on support for that. And the only way we eventually got it in was under the control of the first and the deputy first minister. Hence, um, how it was formed. And how it then got dissolved because it was up to them to then, I think, dissolve it. Um, there were two notions about the Civic Forum. What I was thinking about at first was economic and social actors, you know, such as the business sector, the trade union sector, the voluntary sector, the farming sector, et cetera, getting together. Uh, to work together strategically in order to give some kind of economic and social focus moving forward in Northern Ireland while the politicians were bedding in. Uh, uh, Avila did some work on, on, on fleshing out, um, a, a civic forum, Avila Kilmurray, and it became, um, a little less strategic, but more like a citizens assembly. Uh, appointed in a number of ways. Uh, and that's the kind of civics forum that started. Now, one of the critiques of it was, is it was supposed to be entirely civic. But because I would argue they hadn't gone with the Women's Coalition uh, proposal on, on uh, voting reform, uh, the UDP uh, failed to get elected to the first assembly. So they started putting people on the assembly who were really from the political realm. And that wasn't the point of the civic forum at all. It wasn't to be as a stopgap for people who didn't get elected. And it wasn't to be for politicians. It was to be a civic forum and really not, um, you know, not displace, you know, or, or uh, replace an avenue for politicians. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring up in terms of how it was constituted. Um, and I wonder, Bruna, do you think it, that's where it maybe went wrong in terms of the ability for political appointments? And, um, I mean, obviously the Citizens Assembly in the Republic of Ireland is a model that is often cited, 
um, and it is actioned by the government there. But of course, politics in Northern Ireland is uh, not necessarily normal. Uh, and so when we have a situation where the First Minister and Deputy First Minister were able to have significant influence over how it was set up, do you think perhaps that allowed for political interference in the forum in a way that was not helpful? Yeah, I, th- I think, I think it was, uh, I think the politicians were a bit afraid of it, uh, by maybe it stealing their clothes. And that was not the intention. Um, there was a conference, uh, yesterday on this, uh, on civil society's contribution to peace building, pa- paving the way, uh, to peace that was held in the MAC. And Jim McCusker, who used to be the general secretary of the Northern Ireland Public Service Alliance, NIPSA, I think it's got a new name now. I'm not quite sure. Um, but he was referring to the Civic Forum and again, uh, pointed out, uh, the mistake in, in actually appointing politicians to it. It's nothing against those, those former politicians. It's just the concept. I certainly saw it as he did it on the model of the European Union's Economic and Social Committee or the UN's Economic and Social, um, Committee or what we have in the south of Ireland and in member, many member states is a kind of a forum of economic and social actors with a number of representatives coming from all of those leading sectors collabor- collaborating together. So that's how we saw it, entirely civic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And David, I want to bring you in here. So maybe give us some of your thoughts on the civic forum and tell us a little bit about the work of Community Dialogue. Yeah, uh, just a quick heads up first. I don't know if it's me freezing or it's Brona freezing, but um, there's a brief interruption every few seconds. So has anyone yeah. else so been I getting that? I think it that? might be, um, Bruno, I think it might be at your end, but actually what's great about this particular system that we have in place is that it's actually always recording in the background at your end. So even if it seems like it's cutting out a little bit for us, David, the actual recording in terms of the sound uh, will actually pick up uh, all of Bruno's contributions. Oh, that's fantastic. That's why this, that's why this software uh, is so good. Yeah, that, no, That's what makes great. it better than Zoom then. So um, you were asking me about my thoughts on the Civic Forum uh, and also a wee bit about the work of Community Dialogue. So f- first off, I, I, I simply want to echo 100% uh, everything that I've heard Bruno saying. Uh, and I want to add to it uh, looking back from 20, for tw- over 25 years, the growing sense of um, powerless frustration with the absence of what I and many citizens right across Northern Ireland, irrespective of their political position, uh, would have with the sense that for all its faults, we voted in a referendum for the Belfast or Good Friday Agreement. On the day that we voted, and the 25th anniversary of that day is coming up very, very soon, on that day, I and we took ownership of that agreement. I understand it to be mine, to belong to me. Our elected representatives in our system of democracy are empowered (laughs) to um, respond to our expressed will through the electoral system. That electoral system doesn't work because one of the failings of the Belfast or Good Friday Agreement is that it unwittingly copper-fastened sectarian governance and sectarian politics and sectarian voting. And many of us at the time would have raised this as a concern 
And some people voted against the agreement specifically because of this fear. I voted for it in the naive assumption that it was giving the moderate centrist parties, official unionists, SDLP, the opportunity to get used to the idea of sharing power with each other and working with each other. And that would flow and we would normalize and there would be amendments to the system. But what we hadn't anticipated was the extremes would shift into the centre in the space of a few years and find much to their um, evident delight that this system works perfectly for them and is tailor-made to secure their ongoing uh, vote and their ongoing maintenance of power simply by stirring the pot to a sufficient level to maintain sectarian tension and keep an orange and green vote going. Um, a huge frustration. Uh, attached to that is the fact that, as, as has been alluded to already, the Civic Forum, when the powers that be took ownership of the idea, uh, to my mind, they set it up to fail. It certainly did fail. Um, we need, <laughs> we desperately need a new civic forum or something similar. And the priority, the number one reason for me is our system of representative democracy is not currently and has not been fit for purpose because it's copper fastening sectarian governance because of the framework of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement, well-intentioned though it may have been. We need an alternative mechanism that can amplify and articulate an alternative civic voice. When I speak through the ballot box, I'm making the generalization about Northern Ireland society as a whole, so I'll say, when we speak in the ballot box, we largely register intentionally or otherwise, a sectarian and a divisive voice. It is the only way that we are heard. So a civic forum and other forms of civic innovation, other ways of engaging civic society, participative democracy, offer us the prospect of an amplified alternative and more unified civic voice, which I would argue on the basis of 25 years dialogue experience with community dialogue and years of experience before that, echoed by my colleagues, echoed by literally dozens of other engaged civic society organizations. When we pull marginalized, voiceless, and polarized citizens together in a dialogue framework, their capacity to rapidly reach a position where they are articulating shared, unified concerns and a shared, unified voice. It's like a hot knife through buffer. This is the frustration. So um, the idea of a civic forum being reintroduced that provides that alternative voice is one that I believe 95% of the community and the voluntary sector is hungry for. And the community and voluntary sector 
speaks for the vast majority of the citizens in Northern Ireland. And if I could just be cheeky and make one extra, uh, throw one extra point in here, we must remember that 25 years ago, the agreement was an intended resolution of a long-standing conflict between two ethnic groups and politically polarized groups. And the framework was constructed with them in that regard. 25 years later, that is no longer the case. Northern Ireland today is a region of minorities. The two largest minorities may still be orange and green, but as we speak, week by week, month by month, both of those blocks are becoming increasingly fragmented and identities as articulated and political affiliations as expressed and perceived are becoming increasingly diverse, as is the actual ethnic makeup of our population. So we need a forum that articulates not just on behalf of the traditional orange and green blocks, which fewer and fewer people actually identify with, but all the other diversity of our increasingly diverse society. I think an important point to bring up on that, David, is uh, just how normal it is in a democratic society, society to have these kinds of structures. We obviously have the Citizens' Assembly in the Republic, which has shown uh, often that people can be ahead of the politics. We have um, we have consensus conferences that have been happening in Denmark since the 1980s. In the UK, there's been over 30 uh, forums and assemblies in the past three years on everything from climate change uh, to COVID-19. So we can see a significant increase on a global scale of democracies looking at how they can build better engagement with citizens and civic society, creating that kind of space for decision-making, giving people voice. And yet here we are in Northern Ireland with this total absence of of a structure and space, despite having a commitment under the Good Friday Agreement to have that. I suppose, Brona, it must be a point of frustration uh, for you um, that we don't have the civic forum. And I wonder if maybe the big challenge we have in this space is trying to depoliticize this kind of engagement. Of course, everything in Northern Ireland becomes politicized. Uh, and whilst this should not be a political issue, as you alluded to earlier, it kind of fell into that trap in that uh, some politicians and political representatives see it as a competitive space rather than seeing this as being complementary. Yes, um, I think that the fact that the during the negotiations, parties had real difficulty in, in, in accepting this and the fact that it was dropped fairly early uh, suggests to me that the lack of confidence and fear among politicians. And one of the things I want to put out here, and I'm a big believer in it, that a society is better with active citizenship and we need to stop some of this political clientelism that is going on in terms of, you know, I do this for you and you vote for me all the time. I expect my politicians to be more strategic than that. Um, I just want to go back to um, one of the points that David made, because I think it's important uh, to say this. Um, and I take some responsibility for negotiating the agreement, but obviously we know the big beasts uh, were focusing on the power, the power structures and the institutions. But nevertheless, um, there wouldn't have been any agreement without the kind of decision making in the politics that we have. 
Um, I think it is time to move from that now. Um, our, 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 we actually have two decision-making mechanisms. Uh, one is a parallel voting mechanisms, which kind of extra, uh, um, entrenches the kind of the sectarian nature of it, or people would say protects both sides of the community. Uh, but we also have a sufficient consensus model, which is more unifying. And David's right, the demography has completely changed in Northern Ireland. The voting patterns have t- completely changed. Particularly young people are looking for something different. And I think we need to be thinking about moving from the parallel voting mechanisms into the sufficient consensus model with a, with, you know, whatever high threshold needs to be there. That means that we can actually take account of all votes uh, moving forward. The other point that I think David is right on is that um, the civic forum would be, would have been um, entirely useful in a conflict situation uh, that we're in. And, and David and I know that very well from the work, um, well, the work community dialogue is continuing to do. But in the early days when we took various elements of the agreement broke it down in user-friendly language and dialogues were facilitated. David and others were facilitating dialogues in different communities around those issues. So being able to dialogue uh, across different viewpoints is extremely important and with a certain amount of freedom than sometimes um, uh, politicians have. But you're also perfectly right, um, uh, Emma, um, this is quite normal in other places. Um, so I saw it in one sense as being strategic to cry and move ahead with what should have been a unifying economic and social agenda moving forward that would have assisted quite conflicted politics. But in any event, its time is still here because this is normal in other places. I mentioned the UN uh, Economic and Social uh, Forum. I mentioned the EU Economic and Social Forum. And and, and many uh, member states, particularly in Western Europe, have these models. Now, what is the difference? I think having citizens' assemblies is extremely useful for broader discourse and random selection for discussing some of those knotty issues. Mm-hmm. But I see the Economic and Social Forum in, in a more kind of strategic, more than, than just an issue by issue base, but something more strategic in moving forward. And I'm very struck now by the fact that, um, we have made some economic and, and some social progress since the agreement, uh, 25 years ago. Uh, but we missed the full economic bounce that we could have had because of the division in our politics and the assembly kept keeping going, falling and then coming up again and falling again. And we're now at the period when we've got a lot of interest, particularly from the US, in investing here. And we cannot miss this bounce. And I think if anything has shown us over the nonsense that is Brexit, that the majority of, of citizens in Northern Ireland didn't want. And I meet every day people who voted, who did vote for it and rue the day that they voted for it and know precisely that they were misled. And, and in fact, uh, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg now saying, well, it's going to take 50 years before the UK gets back on track after Brexit. I don't think ordinary people voted to actually destroy their lives for 50 years. 
So when we saw in all of those debates and all of the debates around how we were going to mitigate the worst excesses of that, we saw the business sector uh, coming together and collaborating and meeting in their different types of sectors in the business sector. Now, just think, if we had had a free, a self-standing uh, in its own right economic and social forum, those economic actors could have been talking together there and and trying to have some strategic input collectively uh, in encouraging and advising our politicians here. Uh, and if we are going to go forward economically, we absolutely cannot do that without the voluntary sector, the trade union sector, and the people who are particularly alert to social investment, uh, lifting all boats and social cohesion. So it makes perfect sense here, but it also makes perfect sense in driving uh, a community forward economically and socially, even if we didn't have a conflict. Yeah, I think that um, what you're bringing up there, Brona and David, actually around Stormont Reform, you know, it is a, a topic that is coming up at a much larger scale now, now that we're faced with another period of having no governance. And as you say, 25 years is a long time. It is worth reflecting on the structures that were set up and asking ourselves if what was necessary in 1998 might not be necessary today. And um, I suppose one avenue for looking at such a complex issue could be kicking it into a civic forum or into a citizens' assembly. It is worth actually raising that new decade, new approach, a subsequent agreement. Always worth remembering that since 1998, there have been several further agreements. None of them have been fully implemented. We have a real implementation failure in Northern Ireland. Uh, and one of those was new decade, new approach. In this agreement, there was a commitment made by all parties to have one citizens' assembly every single year. Surprise to nobody in this conversation that we have not had one at all. That, to me, though, would seem to be the idea vehicle to kick this idea of stormant reform because there are suggestions on the table. We have the Alliance Party suggesting a system of reforms, but putting that into the wider public, I think, can have a beneficial impact in several ways. One, it could legitimize some of those suggestions and actually, you know, create an environment where we can look at various reforms, but it also sends a message to wider society that their voice matters, that they have a say in this process. And I think we're past the point of having closed multi-party talks to create an agreement that's not going to get implemented in the first place and just kind of repeating that cycle. And we need to find a way to bring citizens and civic society back into this conversation. So I'll kick that over to you first, David, the idea of of using those mechanisms like a citizens' assembly um, for a topic like stormwater reform, and also just to to talk a little bit about, um, you know, does the original concept of the civic forum have to be changed? Twenty five years is a long time, so perhaps that model from nineteen ninety eight might not be the best practice model we could do now. Yeah, of 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 course, the the new model has to be changed. The old model, as envisaged in the initial discussions by the Women's Coalition was taken and adapted, amended, ultimately transformed by the powers that be to begin with. Uh, no model remains fit for purpose uh, in the face of ongoing evolution of change of new factors. Um, every model uh, must have built within its system and structure and underpinning ethos the idea that it will respond flexibly to need and therefore evolve over time. Our civic forum, uh, dead and buried, never had the chance to. 
So um, you need perhaps a radically different form of civic forum. But listening to both of you over the last few minutes has got me so fired up. I'm, I'm, thoughts uh, are, are just spilling out of me uh, <laughs> more than I can possibly Fairly. articulate no at problem. once. But I, I want to backtrack momentarily, if I may, because when you o- opened your question, uh, your last question to Brona, you referenced the painful possible reality that the idea of a civic forum or citizens assemblies or maybe participative democracy in general Mm. might be overly politicized and maybe even threatening to the established political structure. And I think that uh, the key underlying problem in making all this happen is political reluctance to engage with this idea. Why? Because If you are so minded, under the current system, you don't really need to do that much to ensure that you get voted in. (laughs) All you need to do is stir tensions and say, vote for me to keep them out. And people reliably respond accordingly, albeit in diminishing numbers as time passes, because people are becoming more and more aware of the fundamental flaws in in, in that way of registering your vote. Um, Now, is it a political threat? If you look at the Republic of Ireland, um, it held two uh, citizens' assemblies that led to referenda in the last several years. Uh, And I, as a citizen both of the UK and Ireland, had the privilege to be able to vote in both those referenda. Uh, Groundbreaking um, referenda that the rest of the world has been jumping on since and following suit. And the marriage equality one that have essentially asked citizens, do do we treat people equally as citizens under the law, irrespective of their sexual orientation? Uh, And in the face of the traditional opposition, church-based mainly, much diminished, in my opinion. Thankfully, the people of the Republic of Ireland were empowered to say, we will treat people equally under the law as citizens, irrespective of their sexuality. And the feeling of registering a vote in that referendum with my wife and my three children all crowding into the booth, the hairs were up on the back of my neck and I had tears in my eyes. I felt that as an Irish citizen, I mattered. I had something of value to say, and I had a mechanism within which to express that thing of value, and that society would change as a consequence of that expression. And it did. And that is a very, very precious feeling that I had never felt before. Now, perhaps more importantly to the question you were asking about political Uh, fear of the power of citizens' assemblies. Article 8 of the Irish Constitution meant that for generations, Irish women were seeking abortions abroad illegally with all the trauma, guilt, shame, remorse, criminality, exploitation, etc., etc., that goes with it and um, deprivation of basic human rights. Uh, Irrespective of your position on the idea of abortion, which is a very complex area, and irrespective of that, 
Nobody in Irish society could meaningfully engage with each other in dialogue on this issue, especially with friends, especially with parents, especially with partners. And politicians couldn't express an opinion on it because if they have an opinion on it, they will be punished at the, uh, uh, at the polling booth. The Citizens' Assembly empowered the Irish government on behalf of the Irish state and the nation, the people, to make an earth-shattering constitutional change, which the political system on its own didn't have the power to do. So the point I am, well, I'm making two points. Citizens' assemblies can tackle issues that nobody can tackle because they hurt too much. That tells me a citizens' assembly in Northern Ireland can tackle, for example, constitutional futures and make recommendations. The citizens have the capacity to do so. It has been proven over and over again. It's been proven in Northern Ireland also, in uh, <laughs> civic society-sponsored uh, citizens' assemblies. But the other thing is, citizens' assemblies in the Republic of Ireland demonstrate that representative democracy, the political powers that be, the very elites that we complain about, were actually empowered to affect change by the people. Now that, I don't have words for how beautiful that is. It's incredible. It's gold. You're really tapping into the heart of it there, David, in terms of just how powerful a space that this can be and how transformative it can be to give citizens the ability to have their say. And as we're coming up uh, towards the end of this, um, I just want to mention uh, efforts that have been happening to try to fill the void left behind by the Civic Forum. You know, David, Community Dialogue have been doing an incredible uh, amount of dialogues uh, for years, for decades in communities. And we have subsequent other structures trying to fill voids. We have Hollywell Trust in Derry trying to do their mini citizens' assemblies. Um, there's Voice Matters, which is with Cooperation Ireland, that's also trying to to give civic voice back to people. Um, there's the Human Foundation working with Community Dialogue and others also about trying to to move things forward. And I myself am involved in another uh, project as well, the Civic Initiative, which is a project that brings together a wide range of civic society organizations to host a series of regional forums across Northern Ireland and border areas to examine rights, safeguards and equality of opportunity under the Good Friday Agreement. And we're also going to be having a deliberative gathering of 100 citizens trying to tackle some of the naughty socioeconomic issues. So what we have really here is in the absence of a civic forum, you have civic society trying to fill that space because we don't have any other choice because our political representatives are not delivering what they promised. And that's kind of the the challenge we now have. So I want to bring it over to you, Bruno, to close us out. Just your thoughts on Civic Forum 2.0 and um, how can we make this a reality? Well, the first thing I think, um, I, I agree with everything um, David has said uh, and yourself, Emma, and and the frustration with what has happened politically. But in terms of trying to make it a, a reality, I think it's important that we don't get into uh, competition 
or into to fights with the with uh, political representatives in terms of the political job that needs to be done. So I would suggest that um, some things would be open for something like a civic forum, but other things might be best left to politicians. I think we would get the whole notion of a civic forum, and I'm sure you'll get a lot of feedback from people saying they disagree with me. But um, I think you get a lot of kickback from politicians if a civic forum starts trying to dismantle the political structures and reform all of the political institutions. I think I would leave that. There's a there's an assembly reform committee. Um, I think we need some negotiations around that because that's touching too closely to the centres of of political power and how it's going to be shared or not shared. Shared. But I do agree um, with the whole notion of um, um, helping to create a pathway for an economic and social vision. I, I, I do agree with looking at a vision of the future for these islands. I do think we need to be thinking about how we mitigate the worst impacts of Brexit for the citizens on this island. And I just want to put out there that many years ago, even before the peace funding uh, came around, um, the community and voluntary sector in Northern Ireland, a little known story, were pioneers in a lot of the development of the social dimension at European, at the European Union. For example, Quinton Oliver was over frequently with Jacques Delors. Um, I led a delegation that started knocking on doors in Brussels to create great relationships. And I've already mentioned um, the work uh, in establishing the European Women's Lobby. I could mention others, the European Anti-Poverty Network. Lots of organizations when Europe was creating a Europe of citizens. And now what we have is a very weak, old-style European economic community, uh, which was the mitigation that we got from the Brexit that we don't want. And I think we need to build on that. And I think the way of building on that is actually the, the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. I think what you've talked about, the rights and safeguards, and the parallel rights and, and, and equal rights across this whole island to have the highest standards to European Union, uh, Council of Europe and UN standards, uh, is one way of doing it. Um, creating links also on, on North-South frameworks, but also thinking about what our vision is, uh, together on this island and across these islands um, with our sisters and brothers in England, Scotland and Wales as well. The other thing, I remember um, doing a piece of work, uh, David, on um, Legacy of the Past when the Eames Bradley issue, uh, report came out and was very contentious. And I was commissioned by Community Dialogue, uh, having not been involved for some time, to, to de- develop some... Um, easy to understand uh, documents to facilitate dialogues around those issues. So here's my other thought. Um, we talk about the three strands in the agreement, strand one, strand two, and strand three. But I see it really also now reflecting back in three blocks. The first block is the political power, sharing power, political institutions, and really all the political parties focused on that first. The second block is the security issue around policing. We've had a lot of policing reform. Uh, a lot of people might want to talk about uh, going back to more effective district policing partnerships that we had when policing was reformed. People might want to talk about investment in policing and working 
with the police in communities because we've still elements of that agenda not properly implemented, I would say, particularly around the scourge of paramilitarism that is visited on local communities. So we need to be creating a vision uh, for the future and seeing how people feel about how we can connect citizens on that issue and with our police service. And But the third block is the one that I'm most concerned about, and it is the block of issues that the women brought to the table, uh, uh, listening to the voices on the ground throughout the negotiations. It's those equality and rights issues. It's the legacy of the past. It's victims and survivors. It's integrated education. It's trying to work through how we get mixed housing uh, and, and create a more integrated society in Northern Ireland. We have to tackle paramilitarism to do that. It's um, the social cohesion, social um, inclusion, the economic agenda, the advancement of women, the equality and the diversity. And I think all of those issues would be really good subjects for citizens' assemblies and uh, I would say a more formal civic forum because I could see the room for lots of local citizens' assemblies. And if you're asking how it could be implemented, I think we should... Uh, try and reform it so that there is a strategic civic forum. And perhaps that civic forum could also be given the task of, of actually doing many, uh, more, um, public and engaged actions on the ground through using civic assemblies, citizens' assemblies. So we could have something that is really connected, that is really participative democracy, and that's really of assistance to both um, uh, to the citizens here, but also to um, political decision-making moving forward. It could actually be an assistance to everyone. Well, you're getting a big thumbs up uh, from myself and David to that suggestion. Brona, it's a great idea. Uh, I want to just bring this to a close and say how excellent uh, this conversation was. It could have went on so much longer. I'm so very grateful, Brona and David, for your time. Lots of great ideas uh, and lots of... Um, deep conversations tapping into some of the issues and the reasons why we did this podcast in the first place. This is the 25th anniversary of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. There has been significant successes. We are, you know, under a period of sustained peace for 25 years. That has to be celebrated. But as you just spoke to there, Bruno, there are systemic issues around social cohesion, reconciliation, around legacy of the past, civic forum, lots of other issues. And it's not lost on those of us working in the sector that many of those were actually brought forward by the Women's Coalition and they have been allowed to languish. So it's really important to hammer home that message. I want to thank the Tortoise Shack for hosting this podcast and in particular Tony for producing. Thank you so much. And a final shout out around the Civic Initiative to say for anyone that likes a rally and wants to get out there, uh, we have a rally happening in Belfast on the 20th of May. It is to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement vote. And the reason that we are having that rally is because we want to celebrate the role of people and communities in building and sustaining peace A lot of the focus has been on the politicians, and we think it's really important to highlight the role that people have played in building our peace process and that they continue to do that every day. So the rally slogan is Say Yes Again. It's happening in Ryder Square in Belfast, May 20th at 12pm. Join us if you can from either side of the border. You're welcome. And I just want to say thank you again, Rona, David, and to anybody who has listened to this podcast for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you.